Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is B.J. Barham. I'm the frontman uh, songwriter for the Raleigh, North Carolina band American Aquarium. Uh, and I try to affect people with words. That's what I do. Another night, couldn't sleep a wink. Might have had too much to drink. I know exactly what you think. You don't have to tell me. Uh, I try to change a day, change a mood. Um... Uh, create an experience with with language is what I try to do. And I think that's the neatest part of, of, of writing songs is you write them for a very specific moment in your life. But if you do it well enough, people can apply it to their situations and their loss and their trauma. And, and words that I made up in my living room to help me get through the hardest times of my life are also helping other people put words to the hardest times of their life. And I think that's one of the most rewarding parts about being a songwriter. I know exactly what you'd say I can't stop thinking about you And our time under the sun Having to learn to live without you Is the hardest thing I've Done. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Show on the Road. As always, I'm your audio spirit guide, Zach Lupiton. And this week, after a summer hiatus, I finally get to talk face-to-face with the amazing B.J. Barham of North Carolina Roots Rock Favorites American Aquarium. Yes, the first time in nearly two years I could sit and talk shop with one of my favorite artists. Now, when you hear B.J. talk, you may think, well, he's going to be singing country music. He does really well in Texas. In fact, my band Dust Bowl Revival opened for him in the small town of Lubbock, and people were going wild. But BJ named his band after an obscure lyric and a Wilco song. Think about that. And while fans have been following his group American Aquarium since they started playing rock and roll and country in Raleigh around 2006, it's with Barham's more poetic, stripped-down offerings like 2020's Lamentations and his searing solo work Rockingham that he is really breaking new ground. 
as a new dad myself who just experienced my wife going through a terrifying birth where we almost lost her and the baby's life. BJ's songs on his newest record, Chicken McConaughey, hit really hard for me right now. I can't think of a country artist today with a big following all the way from North Carolina through Arkansas who would center the title of his record around the unspoken tragedy of a late miscarriage but he pulls it off with amazing sensitivity. Honestly, I don't think we would be able to talk about these songs of loss and pain and renewal if we weren't face-to-face like it's supposed to be. Anyway, I'm so glad you're here, and uh, if you want to support my band, Dust Bowl Revival, October 15th is our own curated music festival. It's called the Paramount Ranch Sonic Boom, and we have a brand new song called Set Me Free coming out this Friday. As always, I'm thankful that you're here listening to this music with me. Share it with your friends, leave us a kind review, and here he is now, BJ of American Aquarium. We sparked something here once, who's to say we can't do it again? They say Hemingway once slept here And if the world was flat, maybe this is where it ends Will you please, for the radio audience, tell us where we are? We are in Los Angeles, California, West Hollywood, to be exact. We are at the historic Troubadour uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard. This is a momentous day for the show on the road. We've been on uh, the air in some form over four years, but this is the first official in-person interview since the pandemic. I feel good about that. I feel good. Yeah, I've, I've done my share of Zoom interviews. So I'm, I'm be, these almost seem like we're doing something wrong. I, I enjoy it. I uh, earlier today talked with Jim Lauderdale, the Americana wizard from his house in Nashville. Um, yeah, originally just, from Statesville, North Carolina. Oh, okay. He's another North Carolina boy. And you're from uh, Reedsville, is that correct? Reedsville, North Carolina. Yeah, I lived the uh, first 18 years of my life born and raised in Reedsville and then moved to Raleigh, North Carolina for college and uh, and never left. Uh, kind of, I've been there for 20 years now, so. It's interesting that you say words first over music because I think um, lyrics especially don't get appreciated as poetry or as literature in the way they probably should you know i know they gave bob dylan the nobel prize for literature but that was probably the first time in what 150 years of that prize for sure um who do you think should get it next as a songwriter uh if springsteen's not in the conversation uh there's a problem uh uh prine should have definitely been in the uh, john prine should have been in the conversation uh, Guy Clark's up there as well. Uh, Towns. Um, those are poets. Those are people that put words on paper that not just... It wasn't just rhyming, or it wasn't just uh, feel-good songs. It, it was songs that encompassed the human experience, which I think is uh, extremely hard to do, but when you can do it in the right way, it's one of the most fulfilling ways of putting pen to paper. One of my favorite things... Um, that Prine never put out was this live record. Um, I think it's just called John Prine Live. Yeah, I think it was 79. Uh, it was fantastic. I could just hear him explain his songs as a separate album. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, like that, you know, like the explanation he gives about uh, when someone came up to him and was like, can you play the Happy Enchilada song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that the stories were almost as good as the songs. 
And I think that's uh, that's my favorite kind of songwriter who puts just as much time into crafting the story about the song as they do crafting the actual song. Well, I don't have a song about a happy enchilada. You mean <laughs> half of inch of water? <laughs> you think you're gonna drown? <laughs> but now I like only hear that. Yeah, I can only yeah. hear happy enchilada I'm from on here on stage. out. So I leaned over and asked her what I could do for her, and she said, uh, "She said, would you please sing that song of yours about the happy enchilada?" <laughs> I said, "Geez, I've never written a song about any kind of enchilada, let alone a happy enchilada." I said, you might have me confused with somebody else. She said, no. She said, you wrote a song about a happy enchilada. I said, well, how's it go? And she says, it's a happy enchilada, and you think you're going to drown. I said, I'm glad you like the words. That's the way that the world goes around you up one day. But next you down, it's a happy enchilada. You think you're gonna drown. That's the way that the world goes round. That's the way that the world goes round. That's the way that the world goes round. So your newest record, Chicken and Maconico? Did close, I, close. Did, did I almost get it? So close. Chicka Maconico. Okay. Chicka Maconico. Say it ten times fast at home. Trust me, I had to... Once I had to figure out how I was going to uh, fit it into a song, uh, I had to slowly count out the syllables and kind of over-pronunciate just so I could have it down. Was it a, a life-saving kind of like fort kind of thing in, in the Outer Banks? Yeah, it was one of the very first Coast Guard stations before they had the U.S. Coast Guard. It was a life-saving station off the coast. Um, so we have these things in North Carolina. No other state has them. They're, we call them the Outer Banks. Um it's a group of barrier islands that go around the entire state. And uh, there's a road that leads through them all now, like bridges and all that good stuff. And that's uh, the Outer Banks is a, hold on one sec. They're testing out the speakers here at the Troubadour. We got some static going. Everyone loves sound check. And by loves, I mean tolerates and withstands. And we're back. But yeah, it's uh, it's a group of barrier islands on the outside of North Carolina, and it's like I said, it's one of the only time, only places in the country where it occurs. Uh, and the town used to be called Chickamacomago. It's where the Chickamacomago Life Saving Station was. Uh, and in the late '60s and '70s, um, the United States Postal Service decided that Chickamacomago was one too hard to pronounce, two too hard to spell. So they changed it to Rodanthe, North Carolina. So if anybody's ever been to Rodanthe or Waves or Salvo or any of the northern tip of Hatteras Island, right. um, that is where Chickamacomico um, was historically. Now, folks who've seen you with the full band know, obviously, that you guys do some pretty heavy-hitting country rock and roll. But I think some of your most uh, meaningful records for me, um, like Lamentations, are these stripped-back records that you know put your stories front and center um it's got to be definitely a little scary to to talk about some of the most personal stuff that you've ever written about i know there's a lot of loss on here uh your mother your grandmother um when you uh go into a song like the first year um talking about losing your mom it's like how do you sum up an entire uh, life and what it means to you like 
does it feel overwhelming when you start trying to conquer that? Yeah. Um, th- this, these are songs I couldn't have wrote when I was in my 20s, um, when you're first learning the craft of songwriting. Um, they're too personal. And I think that's why this band, um, I, I, I wrote a bunch of generalized songs in the early days, and I wrote a bunch of loud rock and roll songs because it, it gives you something to hide behind when you're right. not being that specific or when you're when you have a big rock and roll band to cover up any of the the vulnerability but as i get older and i think most songwriters as you get older you learn to strip away uh, you become more comfortable in your skin comfortable enough in your skin to be able to strip away all of the extraneous stuff and and really try to get down to the the meat of what you're trying to say and for for this record it's it is a record about loss it's a record about dealing with loss it's about the trauma of loss about overcoming loss and I feel like uh, when you're writing a song like the first year, which is extremely personal, extremely heavy, you got to do it in a way that it's it, you're not just bringing people down, but you're also lifting them up as well. I, I like to think there's a, a hopeful uh, moments in all of these songs. Um, I, I, I told the boys when we were making it, I want it to be heavy, but I didn't want it to weigh anybody down. And I think that's a there's a very fine line between weight of a song and then it weighing down the person listening to it so songs like the first year 20 year old me couldn't wrote those 30 year old me's couldn't wrote those like it took me being where i was as a songwriter you know nine records in to to finally have the you know the balls to to write something like that such a hurry i had so much left to say I was just passing by Thought I'd stop and say hi Now I miss you Happy Mother's Day Watching your dad watch her be laid to rest, right? Yeah. A, a castle made of sand Watching that mountain of a man fall apart As they laid his you know, queen It's something that you can see immediately yeah um that a lot of people have probably experienced the same thing but it's um it's like a fresh wound kind of every time you think about it yeah it's you want to paint a visual picture you want to paint something uh very very clearly so that again like somebody who's never met me somebody who doesn't know me or my father or my mother uh could see it and and what i what i think is neat about using language in that way is not only can they see it they can take any kind of personal trauma they've had in that situation and kind of insert their mother, their grandmother, their father. And then that song doesn't just become a song about BJ's mom passing away. It becomes a song about just dealing with death in general. Happy Independence Day. Last New Year's Eve was like no other New Year before. You never think you'll get that call till that call comes knocking at your door. You left in such a hurry. I had so much left to say. I was just passing by. Thought I'd stop and say hi Now I miss you Happy New Year's Day
not, I'm not sure if you know him personally or you've played with him, but there's a lot of parallels for me on this record with the record that Steve Earle put out about his son and working on songs that his son wrote. Um, different types of mourning, but a similar kind of reverence and, again, like a freshness of the loss. Um, the things we lost along the way also sort of really heavily uh, leaning into the loss itself and not shying away from the feeling of it you know yeah i don't think you can i don't think you can half ass a song about suicide i don't think you can half ass a song about miscarriage i don't think you can half ass a song about you know you have to come fully like 100% stare it in the face drag it out of the corner pull it to the light give it a name take that power away because if you if you half ass that it, it, it's pointless and it, and it seems half-assed like there's plenty of people that that attempt to write a song and then kind of cowered away from it and then it becomes something not as powerful it all turns to black we'll be left looking back at all the things we've lost along the way it's a razor thin line between what's wrong and right and the dark road doesn't seem so dark if you've never seen the light. Wish I'd learned to let go like a bird upon the breeze. Back before I learned to say no to the things that brought me to my knees. Um, Steve did a great job with that record. I, I, I'm very fortunate in my life to call Steve Earl a friend. And I'm also was was very fortunate to call Justin a friend as well. Justin was one of the first people that took this band on tour, um, so I, I'm very fortunate to call you know father and son friends. And I thought what he did with uh, that record was really powerful. I think your ability to keep sort of a sense of humor and uh, see the, the the bright things in your life amongst the darkness uh, is definitely the most powerful thing on this record for me, you know, um, <laughs> little things probably means more to me now as a, as I'm a dad now, I'm of a six month old. For um, sure. <laughs> and, uh, my daughter does this thing now where she shakes her head back and forth, like almost like Stevie Wonder <laughs> at the piano. Very nice. She's like, like bopping back and forth to an invisible song in her head. <laughs> um, what is the most specific bizarre thing that your kids do? Um, lots of stuff. My kids, uh, she's a weird kid, but I, I, we embrace the weird. We fully encourage the weird. My, my kid likes to get in my wife's makeup and not put on makeup like in a historically accurate kind of way. I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about like just smear it on her face and use a lot of really dark colors on her face. Use a lot of like, re- like reds and oranges and she likes to pretend she's a, a monster and scare us and, uh. That was one of the real gifts, if you can call it that, of the pandemic was 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 folks in our profession who travel a lot and are playing music and not home a lot were kind of forced to be home. And I know some of them didn't take it well. Some of them didn't enjoy being off the road. Right. Some some of them didn't enjoy that nightly, not having that nightly transfer of energy. Right. Um, but for me, coming full circle with my, 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 my job as being a father was the greatest thing ever because I got to fully commit to it. I, I didn't have to be a dad for 250 days a year and then be a, a rock and roller for 100 days a year. I got to be a dad for you know two straight years. I got to be there for the first 
words, the first I love you, the first steps, the first mm. everything, first day of school. I'm I'm very thankful for that, you know, and I, and, and I hate to use words like blessings when it comes to yeah. global pandemics because I'm very, very aware that the, go, that the pandemic, you know, decimated a lot of lives and businesses and families. But for ours, it, it, it wound it tighter. It brought yeah. us together more because me and my wife and my daughter literally spent 24-7 together for two straight months, uh, two straight years. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll always look back on that time as I won't ever look back and say, oh, man, I didn't get to tour or I missed, you know, we didn't get to do any shows on that Lamentations record. I'll always look back on that time and be like, man, that was two years where I got to be home. Nobody got to enter. It was uninterrupted right. time with my kid. And and I really, truly put in perspective of, of father first, musician second. Because before the pandemic, I was trying to 50-50 it. And it was a 1A, 1B kind of thing. And now it's very clear what my role in this life is. And it's to be a father, husband first, and then a musician second. I was standing in the kitchen doing the dishes we left from the night before. And she walked in with a gap tooth grin, roaring like a dinosaur. I've spent my whole life with one foot out of the door. And it finally took putting down what I was working on to see what I was working for. Does your wife make you do the late nights after you get back from tour? Oh, there's no making up for. There's no mercy. Time. There's no mercy. There's no mercy. Uh, the minute, like, even if I get home and I'm like, man, I, we just drove 15 hours to get home. You know, it's good to be back. And she's like, cool. Um, good luck. You're up at six. You're yeah. doing breakfast. Yes. Uh, you're doing school run. You're doing this. And it, there's no mercy. Um, and I'm okay with that because uh, being a her being a parent, like I'm only gone this time for like three weeks. This is the longest tour I've done in like four years. Um, and she's full time in it, you know. She's she's mommy and daddy when I'm yeah. gone. Um, Dad just gets to pop up on Facetime a couple times a day and yeah. check in and tell some jokes and and yeah. see how the kids doing. But she crushes it. So when I'm home, I, I, I'm fully okay with, with with taking the reins and, and being the parent. And now I'm just a father and a husband who knows his way around a microphone. Cause it's the little things that get me through to tomorrow. Oh, it's the little things that keep me in the fight. It's coffee in the morning. It's singing her to sleep each night. It's the little things that let me know that everything's gonna be alright. Yeah, I went uh, to England with Dos Bowl Revival for about 10 days, which is the longest I've been away from Little July. And <laughs> I was still kind of jet lagged, and I was like, sort of hoping that maybe we could like start the, the like transfer of like dads doing every late night like, oh, yeah. the next day. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck <laughs> my, with that. My wife was like, "No, I'm out." Yeah, it's if you're there physically, tapping in, you're present. You know, <laughs> Dad, you're, you're tapping in. It's like you you shouldn't have came home. You should have <laughs> gave it a day. Stayed in the hotel. Had a had a tire blowout. Make something up. But if you go home, once you're back in it, it's tag team. What um, is your daughter's response to your music? 
Did she, she likes is it. Is she over it or is she like She super likes into it. it. She thinks it's really cool what dad does because my, my daughter tours with me a lot. She's not on this tour, but most of the tours in her lifetime, she comes with me, her and my wife. And so she she understands that, that dad plays music for a living. She understands that dad sings songs to strangers for a living. She loves the band, and the band is so good with her. I'm very lucky to have a group of guys that fully embrace having a toddler on the road. Um, you know, they let her play their instruments, and, 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 you know, when she wants to get stand in front of the band and scream songs, they play behind her. I don't know too many four-year-olds who have that good of a band playing behind them, yeah. you know, so um, kind of, I, I love it. Um, one day, I'm sure she'll be like, like every kid, it's like, my dad's lame. Yeah. No matter how cool your dad is, yeah. every kid goes through a, man, my dad's lame. And so I'm waiting for that to happen. But right now, I'm still the cool dad that plays like rock and roll music. Yeah, the uh, song that I'm putting out sort of a, about her, really, about yeah. her when she's being born. And it's hard not to write about that stuff when you're, when you're writing. We put this, we're putting out this music video with her and my wife in it, which we've never done before. Um, and I was like... Oh, well, we'll do a little, uh, you know, Instagram reel, you know, just a minute of me playing the song at home to her. And she was just like not having it. This yeah. Morning, you know? <laughs> She's like, look, I was really cute in the music video, but like, I'm really into this avocado. <laughs> I am really angry that you're trying to play this. Yeah, song I'm not right trying now. to get on that reel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, we just need a minute. How about a minute? She was like, no. It was it was pretty funny, but you started this uh, American Aquarium back in uh, 2006. Um, why why name it after the Wilco lyric? One of uh, my favorite Wilco songs. Of yeah, all time, that yeah. record changed my life. Uh, that record came out my senior year in high school, and uh, it taught me that you could still be very much a, a, a country band and not sound anything like a country band. Mm-hmm. It taught me that. It opened my eyes to, I guess, what would later would become the all-encompassing umbrella of Americana. But it taught me very early that, like, you could write songs, and then they could still be very much rooted in American roots music, but also sound like Radiohead. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world. It was like this light bulb went off that, like, as long as the storytelling is out front, as long as there's this narrative that kind of runs through the song, you can do anything sonically. And Wilco still pushes the barriers of that to this day, um, but it, it was it, it, it changed my life. And so, when it came time to name the record, that that line always was intriguing to me. I'm an American aquarium drinker, I assassin down the avenue. I thought that was one of the. I, don't, I still don't know what the fuck it means. Yeah. Uh, but it was enough to 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 move me to name my band after. And you know, once you name the band and put out a record, there's no changing the the name of the band. So, for better or for worse, we're stuck with it. Well, I think the use of poetry and electronics with a country rock band is what makes Wilco so special. And that, you know, the record also probably one of my all-time favorites, that and Summer Teeth. Um, Because it showed that you could have a band with almost like no limits sonically. Exactly. You know? There was no box to fit in. Once you break outside of the box, then you realize that the box is just a construct. <laughs> the song off uh, Burn, Flicker, Die, which is maybe your album that puts you on the map, um, which I love, uh, Lonely Ain't Easy, again, feels like 
an old country song that you maybe heard on a jukebox in a in a lonely bar somewhere, um, but that you you create loneliness as this character, yeah. right? That is always kind of lurking in the background, and that she's almost like a friend and an enemy in a way. Yeah, you know, just personification of emotion. Uh, that song started as almost just an exercise in that uh, taking this emotion and bringing her to life. Um, that record changed my life. That record was, you know, it uh, it always helps when Jason Isbell produces records. <laughs> I've learned that if you're ever looking to break through in the Americana world, um, get Jason Isbell to produce your record. Um, that's our secret. How did you first get in touch with him? Me and Jason connected uh, shortly after he left the Truckers. Um, we became friends, uh, opened up a bunch of shows, acoustic for him. Uh, and then we realized that we both liked to drink and we both liked to shoot pool and we both liked songs. Um, and so uh, in 2012, my band was, American Aquarium was coming to an end. Um, we'd been touring for six or seven years and going nowhere and we were finally getting ready to hang it up. Um, and he's the one that kind of talked us into staying the course and recording this record. Like we didn't have the money to make a new record, but he brought us down to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Mm. Um, and there was a studio directly across from his house that we used. And uh, we recorded Burn Flickered Out. It was supposed to kind of be a swan song. Uh, and, the, you know, the, it's kind of ironic that the record about us failing in the music business is the record that saved our band. Um, it was like somebody flipped, flipped the light switch. Yeah. Like, uh, shows started selling out immediately. Hmm. Uh, and then about a year after we made that record, Jason got sober and put out Southeastern. Hmm. And then his trajectory changed. Uh, it was crazy to watch because you know we were we opened up those first few shows of the Southeastern tour, mm. and it was just like we all knew something was coming. There right. was we're like, oh, this isn't going to be like a normal Isbel record. This is getting ready to blow up. Um, and so lucky for us, uh, when people were finding Isbel, they were looking back and you know what else has he worked on? Mm. And there's this band called American Aquarium that he produced a record for, and I think uh, us and Josh Ritter are the only two people that can kind of claim that, you know, Isbel produced our records, which if that's the if that's the company I got to keep, Josh Ritter and Jason Isbel, um, I'm okay with that. She took all the Beatles, she took all the Eagles, she took all the stars. And for Josh a few times at the Fillmore and uh, his keyboard player Sam Kassirer yeah produced our monster record. absolute monster keys player yeah and you know it's funny when you have a producer put such an imprint on a record it's a it's almost a blessing and a curse because his keyboard work on our is it me is it you record you can't replace that. We don't have a keyboard player. For sure. <laughs> Most of the time, if ever. And so now when we have electric guitar players or other people come in, we're like, so can you make it sound like a Rhodes or a yeah, Whirly? Uh, we, we had that. Uh, <laughs> exactly John, John like Fulbright this. produced a record for us. And John's like a, a, a monster piano player. So the keys are all over this record. And so like literally at the end of the record recording process, we had to hire a keys player. Like we have yeah. a, a full-time keys player now. 
because we've had keyboards on every single record we've ever made and we never had like he's a tr- touring keys right. guy so finally it got to the point where it's like you know what like instead like if we're gonna fill out this sound and and really do it justice you know we need to bring on a full-time guy so now we've got uh my, my buddy Rhett Huffman uh grew up about 15 minutes from me uh in Burlington North Carolina um he plays B3 organ, piano, Wurlitzer, clav. Mm. Uh, he's got a Moog up there. Got a Celeste. He mm. travels with a harmonium. Wow. He's got a pretty ridiculous key set up. And, uh, takes up half the bus. Yeah, it takes up a whole bay of the bus <laughs> for sure. Um, but it, it's nice because you, you, the, the, we, he really gets to cover us a lot of sonic ground. Uh, and we get about as close to a record as I think any band's going to get as far as replication goes. When you see someone like Isbel go into the stratosphere with Southeastern yeah. and openly writing about his sobriety, um, is that something that maybe inspired you You know, when you got sober to start writing about it, or was it just a survival mechanism? I think all songwriters, worth their weight, write about the hardest things they go through. They write about the troubling times, the challenging times. And for anybody out there that's sober, they understand this. Um, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I'll have eight years on August 31st. And it's by far the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, I'm still an addict. I'm just an addict that doesn't drink anymore. Um, writing about, I, th- I think any writer, especially when people go through sobriety, when you when you overcome something that big, you can't help but talk about it. It can't help but become part of your personality. It can't help but become part of your story. Right. And I think that's all we are. Is we're like as songwriters, we're just telling our story. We're telling what we know. Right. Like, like you know, and we all make missteps, but we're giving to the best of our knowledge how to get through these situations, or at least how we got through these situations. And so I think anybody that writes songs that gets sober has one of those life-altering events where things you you get better. Right. I, I, I think it would be a disservice to the listener if you didn't talk about it. I think it would be a disservice to the listener if you didn't write songs about it or discuss it or openly uh, try to let people know where you're standing. You know, I think it's, um, I think it's a, it's part, it comes with the territory. If you're an artist and you get sober, your sobriety becomes part of who you are. And you have to be ready for people to ask you questions about it. You have to be ready to write songs about it. You have to be ready to fully embrace recovery uh, in every aspect. You have the song, you know, Six Years Come September on Lamentations. Do you feel like even from then to now that you see your sobriety in a different light? Does it like kind of evolve? For sure. Um, Different ways. Um, Not a lot. Like, the big change for me was 14 to 15. 2014 is when I got sober. 2015 was when I realized that it was not just a phase. 2015 was when I realized that, like, there was no going back to drinking. There was no... I'm just taking a break. Yeah, I'm just trying this on, uh, see if it fits. Um, once you get past six months and you, and you start seeing the changes, uh, you feel better, you look better, uh, your relationships are better. Your friendships are better. Um, everything gets better. You'll never hear a single person utter the phrase, man, I got sober and everything went to shit. <laughs> you know, it seems like there's always an uptick. There seems like there's always a dose of positivity when it comes to sobriety. And so once you start seeing those and you realize that you don't want to go back, 
Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that my band started finding success when I got sober. Mm. When I stopped getting in my own way. Mm. When I learned how to step out and stop tripping myself. Mm-hmm. The band finally took off. Um, I wish somebody to slap 22-year-old me and be like, dude, if you're going to make it in this business, like, you can't do it drinking and, and using. Because um, I would have... I like to think I would have listened, but I probably wouldn't. It, it, it takes crashing and burning to, to realize it. Well, there's something about country music lore that almost like requires you to like go through some sort of gauntlet, you know. And it it's it's sad because a lot of folks don't make it out. I, I was getting ready to say like uh, I, I do think it's part of our prerequisite for our career is everybody you know sex, drug, and rock and roll. Everybody. I mean, look at Justin Townsend. It's like yeah. they didn't make it out. Yeah, I think a lot of fans think that like if you're gonna be a real rock and roll band or a real country band, you have to live it. And and trust me, we lived it. But like you said, um, not everybody gets lucky enough to get get out of the the grips. Um, a lot of times, that once that stuff gets a hold of you, um, it doesn't let go. And, and I consider myself extremely lucky. You know, eight years in to my recovery, looking back, it's like I've got a lot of friends that I've lost because they didn't get out. Or they, mm. or they couldn't say no, or they could, yeah. they, they didn't have that kind of support right. to get away from it. So. These days things don't come easy. It's all I can do most just to keep it between the lines. If I'd have done a better job. Being a Southern artist, I mean, I think you're always taking a risk by being pretty, uh, you know, open about your politics, about yeah. how um, you disapprove of a lot of the history that's happened all around you where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, you have a shirt right behind us here at the Troubadour says, you know, I believe in a better South. Yeah. Um, I got to think that a lot of people are pretty pissed off when they see that some some towns maybe not the people who come to your shows a bunch of closed-minded folks tend, yeah. t- tend to get look why aren't upset. we the best already bj yeah, you have to 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 move forward you have to acknowledge where you've been and as a southerner um why is that so hard to do in I, the south i don't understand it uh, I, uh you know hate and and missteps have kind of uh been a uh, a hallmark for the south um and don't get me wrong i think we're at a point now where we're there's more of us than there are them. You know, the, the people that are holding on, the, the clinches of this history, the clinches yeah. of this, their heritage, this this, yeah. this this entire region rooted in white supremacy. Um, I think we're, we're reaching, like, like, there's more of us than there are there, and there's still a lot of work to do. And there's still plenty of artists like myself that are using their platform to make sure that we get there, to make sure that my kids' generation um, doesn't have to, grow up seeing the stuff that we did because like as a southern kid i experienced racism on a daily basis like i watched family members i watched teachers preachers police chiefs i watched i watched subtle to not subtle at all examples of racism and uh and then it becomes normalized when you see it so much it becomes normalized and for a lot of those kids that are still stuck in my hometown not just normalized it becomes right becomes the right way to deal with these situations becomes the right way of thinking um and for me, it's, I learned, I didn't start speaking up about it until I had a kid. Um, I, I kind of towed the line for a long time. and was like, you know, I don't think I have the voice 
to say this. It's not my place to say this. There's there's other people that with bigger voices and bigger platforms that need to be saying this. But when I had a kid, I realized that if I didn't talk about it, one day she might ask me, Dad, you had this platform Mm -hmm. and something happened in history and you didn't talk about it. Why didn't you talk about it? And I never want to have to look her in the face and tell her I was a coward. Tell her I was afraid of losing a couple Instagram followers. Tell her I was afraid of losing a couple tickets sold to the next show. I want her to know that, like, Dad had a platform. And whether I'm right or wrong on everything, the fact that her dad was unabashedly unapologetic um, and always willing to speak his mind about the stuff and use his platform for what he thought was good, what he thought was best, um, that's why I speak up. It's because I don't ever want my daughter to think I chose... Um, you know, the bottom line mm-hmm. over doing what was right. You tackle some pretty tough subjects like in uh, Brother O' Brother from Small Town Hymns. Yeah. You know, talking about sort of war and why it's necessary to lose these young people uh, forever, uh, whose fault that is, um, patriotism and its... Um, own ridiculous darkness and um you know dodging bullets for another man's war you know um who are we fighting this war for exactly um that's got to be another thing that can be tough to um is it tough to sing that in certain parts of the country or 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 are you just fearless about it no you know i think we've lost the people that we're gonna lose yeah i think after 16 years of, of speaking my mind, I don't I don't think anybody's surprised that I'm going to be pretty blunt right. and pretty open. Um, I, I'd say after 2016, when I stopped hiding it behind metaphor, when I stopped hiding it behind stories, and I started being a little bit more just to the point, I think that uh, we lost the amount of people we were going to lose. Yeah. You know, but for every one person that left, there were two people that took their place at the table. Like this band has grown exponentially, um, so it, it, you know it's it's one of those things where all those rednecks are like, man, like, how about you shut up and sing, man? You're gonna you're gonna lose your fan base, man. If you start talking like that, you're gonna lose your fan base. It's like our fan base has doubled in the last five years since yeah. I started being brutally honest and brutally open. I was like, so I think there's more of a, you know, yeah, I, I got lucky. Sometimes the trash takes itself out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And. In my, in my situation, that's exactly what happened. There's some people that call themselves fans that only liked it when they thought they agreed with everything I thought. And that's not being a fan of somebody. Uh, and if you can't listen to my music with an open mind, you can't listen to my music and, and be like, man, I don't agree with everything he says, but damn it, he's he's convicted. You know, yeah. he's, he's like he's speaking his truth to the best of his ability, and I respect that. But I don't need you as a fan. You know what I mean? It's like I'm I'm very fortunate to have a fan base where I can, I can lose a couple assholes here and there and still be okay, still pay the bills on time. And, uh, you know, that's uh, – I think Steve Earle said it best. He's like, if if there's one less asshole in the world wearing a shirt with my name across their chest, yeah. screaming hateful shit, cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, awesome, man. Like, that's fine with me. I don't I – don't, that's the one thing that I don't think I ever have to worry about is being associated with, like, this closed-minded bigotry of the South. I think if there's ever a list of, like, these guys don't agree with everything happening, <laughs> yeah. I'll be somewhere toward the top of it. I'm okay with that. 
Oh brother, oh brother, oh brother of mine I'm writing you a letter, it's been a long time Tell mama that I love her, tell her everything's fine Oh brother, oh brother, oh brother of mine My daddy lived by the gun and his daddy did too Back when serving your country wasn't up to you He said some were born to talk, boy, and some were born to shoot My daddy lived by the gun and his daddy did too As we sit in the historic troubadour here in L.A., it uh, makes me think about all the people who have graced this stage. You know, Elton John broke through here. Yeah. Um, James Taylor and Carol King and all these folks who would showcase their songs for the first time. Yeah, Linda Ronstadt, the Eagles. You know, like, yeah. Just looking around, it's, 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 it's pretty crazy. Right behind you, there's a, a little flyer that says, Guns and Roses at the Troubadour, fresh from detox. <laughs> nice. It's it's quite the uh, the honest take there. It's pretty amazing. I, I love the ticket price. Uh, Two dollars, six dollar and fifty cent. Pretty affordable. Two dollars with the flyer, like that's wow. that's incredible. If you could harness your ability to travel through time tonight here at the Troubadour, you could bring up four people to sing with you, dead or alive. Who would be on this bill with you? Oh, man, I saw a picture of him over here. He's graced the stage before. Springsteen is, is my biggest influence. Springsteen is, is who made me want to write songs. Springsteen is who made me want to write songs well. I'm trying to think of who else around here. I, I guess everybody has graced the stage, at least sometime. Uh, the people that made me want to write songs were, were Dylan, were Springsteen, uh, Paul Simon, and Neil Young. Those are the four big ones that, like, really kind of – and I'll throw Tom Petty in there. Um, if I have to remove one, I'll take I'll take Neil off and I'll put Tom Petty. So Paul Simon, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan. Those are my four. Those are the four heavy hitters for me, and they were poets, every single one of them. And uh, but most of them fronted really great rock and roll bands, and uh, with the exception of Paul, um, Paul was always kind of a solo artist who who had a great backing players, but was never associated with a band really. Um, I feel like just close enough off the new record could be like a Springsteen outtake from like Nebraska. I'm okay with that. I'll, you can say that all day. Put that in writing uh, and get a publication to print it. And I'll put it in the I'll put it in the one sheet right now. Um, I'm proud of that song. Um, I wrote that song with Lori McKenna, who is one of the most decorated songwriters uh, of our time. Um, real honor to write that song with her. Um, it's a record about you know losing connection. Again, this record is all about loss, but it's about losing connection. Um, Thirty years of a marriage, raising kids, you look up and you're in two different spots. You know, y'all, it's like a tree. You know, y'all start from the same spot and you look up over time, and the branches have grown extremely far apart. And, you, and you're questioning, how do we ever get back together? How do how, how do we bridge this gap? And uh, that's a that's a heavy tune. That's one of the heavier tunes on the record because um, that's about you know do we stick this out or do we just go our do we do the easy thing and walk away from it or do we do the hard thing and face the truth, face the music of the last thirty years of of, of letting each other down and um, it's it's hard. Ignoring our problems just like our parents did. 
I wish someone would have warned us Took love 30 years to let us know That the flower you don't water Is the flower that won't grow It's like whispering How long have you known your wife? I have, me and my wife have been together for going on 12 years now. So, uh, and we've been married um, eight come December. So we've, uh, we have uh, traversed our share of storms over the years, um, but we're stronger for it. Um, there, there, there's, a, there's, there's a resilience that comes with, with, with battle-tested times, <laughs> you know. And me and my wife have made it through a lot of the stuff that usually decimates couples and relationships and we've we've come out on the other side of it stronger for it um, my wife is is the rock for me and I know that sounds cliche but any like every day if, it, if there's anything wrong with the day I talk to her about it and she somehow gets me above it she, she somehow pulls my head above water uh, from two, you know she's 2300 miles away right now and can still bring me right out of the 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 darkest deepest hole and it's uh it's pretty amazing how one other person has that much effect on your life how do you keep any romance alive when a little kid is running through the house i'm so, asking as a new dad because <laughs> i don't know how you I'm have do to this. you have to make time for it you have to you have to be uh conscious of it uh you you, you have to to realize that that's just as important as raising a kid or just as important as paying the light bill or just as important as eating a couple times a day um if you want things to grow, you got to feed it. And uh, same thing goes for that. It's, you know, being a parent is exhausting. Being a parent is time consuming. Being a parent um, sometimes pushes the connection between the husband and wife further apart. But, you know, at the end of the night where you have that hour or two hours um, without a kid, it's, it's about really doing everything you can to, to ask the other one how they're doing. How was your day? I know we spent all day together, but we didn't get to talk. How was your day? What anything you want to talk about? Like what's on your mind? And I've learned that just simple stuff like that can can change can completely change the course of a of an evening. <laughs> I feel like the song "Luckier You Get" off Lamentations maybe doesn't cover that directly, but I think it's realizing. But you really need you know the partners in crime to get you over the hump for sure know. lucky you get is 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 just that it's it, it's kind of a mantra my dad used to tell me it's tattooed across my chest it just says work hard get lucky like luck is luck is not luck, luck is something that is manifested um i used to get mad when kids would hit a shot in a in, in a basketball game and, and i'd lose and i'd say that kid got lucky and my dad would have to explain to me like that kid didn't get lucky that kid prepared more than you did and when the <laughs> opportunity came he was ready for it uh, luck is the intersection of hard work and opportunity. That's all that is. Um, and I was taught that at a very early age. Luck is what you make it. You make your own luck. Um, being ready for those situations. Um, and don't get me wrong, you, you still have to get lucky. There's a lot of better writers, better singers, better looking human beings that, that aren't successful. So I consider like in this line of work, it's not just about being good and working hard. Like I, I got a couple lucky breaks, i.e. Jason Isbell producing my record before he was international folk hero Jason Isbell. Right. He produced our record when he was still just the, the guy that got kicked out of the drive by truckers. Um, that's lucky. Um, but that song is it's kind of a, a mantra for our band. It's, you know, keep your head down, keep your feet moving, and, and good things only come to when you do that. 
When you're working hard to try to be better, only good things happen. Take us out with um, a little bit about the opening track and the title track of this new record. Yeah, Chickamacomico is, uh, again, an extremely heavy song. It's about a miscarriage. It's about a couple recovering from a miscarriage. I don't. Um, we used to think we were the only couple that had one. We used to think we were the only couple that had to experience that kind of devastating loss of thinking you were having a child and then it being taken away from you. There's a there's a, a sense of shame that comes from it. There's a sense of blame that comes from it. Um, communication breaks down. People, the, the 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 person across from you, your partner that you've known for, you know, a decade plus, becomes a stranger. You don't know how to talk to them. You don't know how to relate. You're on two different pages. One of you are going through a physical thing. You're both going through the mental aspect of it. It's hard. Um, and I didn't. And when I wrote that song, I realized that there's not a lot of songs about that. There's not a lot of songs that cover that. Um, and 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 I wanted to write it. And it took six years to write that song. Pack up your bags, babe. We're going for a ride. No, I can't tell you where that would ruin the surprise. Yeah, this winter just won't end. Lord knows what we've been through It's been the kind of year That damn near broke us clean in two I wrote the first line almost immediately after we experienced it. They, uh, I swear I'm going to lose my mind if I have to hear about God's plan one more goddamn time. Right. I wrote that line. I was like, fuck, that is exactly... Like, if only that was the song. If only I could just say that and that'd be the song. That's the, the sentiment I want to... Express. I'm like, I'm not gonna until I get a line that matches that. I'm not even gonna try to finish this song. And then uh, I wrote the next line um, about a year and a half, two years ago. That uh, I'm just staring at the sky, begging for an excuse. I never knew hard until I took apart a room that never got used. Mm. Which I think equally in weight, in lyricism, in emotion, I think there's those. That's a that's a one-two punch. It's really hard to to knock you know I don't care if you like my writing or not those two lines are good lines I don't care what anybody says uh, I, I love those two lines begging for an excuse yeah I never knew hard until I took apart that room that never got used and, and once I had those two lines that's when I started trying to write the song and then when me and my wife went to Chickamacomico to I, I I always do a writing retreat, so we'll go somewhere for a couple weeks, and uh, my wife and my daughter will go like to the aquarium and go to play on the beach, and and then I'll uh, hold myself up in the basement of whatever rental property we have, and I'll write all day. And then once I realized like the story, this this couple 
going to the beach for the weekend to try to reconnect after a miscarriage. Um, it wrote itself. You know, that first line, pack up your bags, babe, we're going for a drive. Um, yeah, it feels like a very cinematic um, song for me where I can kind of get in that car with you guys and, and feel the, you know, the it's like that unique thing where you're trying to be happy in a beautiful place. But, but there's a, a weight on both of your backs. There's an elephant in the room, yeah. yeah. And that's what that song's about, is is this last-ditch effort to, to try to get over that hump, yeah. like this, this giant barrier that's between both of you. And it's a barrier that both of you are experiencing. It's not just one-sided. It's like a double-sided brick wall, and it's about trying to overcome it. And it's something me and my wife had to overcome, and like we got very fortunate Like the next time that we tried to have a child we had a perfectly healthy baby girl um who is an absolute holy terror now at four four. so that you know it's i wanted to write a song for people experiencing because like i didn't have a song to turn to in that time there weren't words of a song that i could turn to and and hopefully this song will serve as a salve for people going through this exact situation it will serve as hey i'm not alone Somebody else wrote a song about this. Somebody else put words to the problem I'm having, which we talked about earlier, is the most rewarding thing as a songwriter. Being able to put a voice and put text to something that, an emotion that a lot of people feel but don't know how to articulate. Um, so hopefully that song, now that there's a song that exists about it, will help a couple get through it or help an individual get through it. And as a songwriter, that's, that's all you really want. It's just to, to help folks get through the shit that, that was bringing you down, that made you write the song in the first place. The um, birth my wife went through was extremely terrifying. She almost died several oh, wow. times. Wow. And um, one of the only times in my life, you know, as a songwriter, I had nothing to say almost. Like, it was so almost uh, frightening and bizarre. It was like a Twilight Zone episode where she's on the ventilator in the ICU, like, you know, Basically, they're like, we don't know if she's getting out of here. And the one song that I wrote during that time, which uh, we play every now and again with my little side group, my wife is like, why does it sound like a happy Calypso song? Hmm. <laughs> Even though the the actual sentiment is, the hook is, I'm not ready to lose you. Yeah. But the vibe is kind of like this little bounce. Yeah. And I'm like, because I feel like sometimes I have this need to cheer myself up yeah, with the song. For sure. You know, even though the lyric might be like, man, I really am not okay with you leaving right now. Yeah. But the the vibe like is <laughs> Yeah, some, like we're on a, like a boat going out to the Caribbean somewhere. There's something beautiful. We needed that. We needed to like get away from it somehow. There's you know? something beautiful about that dichotomy the, the dichotomy that comes from sad music being played in an upbeat way. I mean, it's what country music and blues is. Exactly. It's like the... It's, it, you're, you're pro- like, it's delivering a really bitter pill in a very sweet package. Like, um, why is it so pleasurable yeah. to hear you lament about something that was so hurtful in the moment for you? Because we haven't given ourselves the permission to feel that maybe well, and you're giving our giving us the permission to actually feel it ourselves i always maybe. tell people you don't really realize how how depressing of a songwriter i am until you come see an acoustic show <laughs> when you come see an acoustic you're like shit like that was all hiding underneath like a 
a six-piece band, <laughs> and uh, it, it was, you know, and I like that. I like that we present the songs in a way that is kind of upbeat, and you kind of have to peel back those layers and be like, oh, shit, this song is not happy at all. This song is not bouncy at all. This song is depressing as shit. Yeah, but we know the, the, the tragedies that have been written throughout history, the Greeks on, even, again, going back to Springsteen's Nebraska, there is no album on earth that makes me happier than that. Oh, record. for sure, and it's and it's you a know? dark one um, because it's like he is plunging the knife into some sort of societal wound. Hundred you know, percent, Mister State Trooper. You know, it's like the desperation of these small towns yeah. and these people. And I think like that's it's up to the songwriter to sort of tell the whole story, not just you know some part of it. So I'm glad that you dive into the darkness. And uh, and I'm glad that people are actually listening and paying attention. Same, it, same. It matters. <laughs> so have a great show tonight. Thanks a ton, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate yeah. you doing the. Uh, it's an honor to be the first in-person interview since COVID. I know. Well, it's uh, it's been a long time coming, and um, I'm looking forward to people to hear this. Hell yeah, man! Thanks a ton. Yeah, but. There he goes now, give it up for BJ Barham of American Aquarium, and thank you to the Troubadour in L.A. for letting us talk in peace. Mostly, I mean, people were running around us, but it was really fun to talk in person at last. You can go to AmericanAquarium.com for his newest record, Chicken Maconico. I think I said that right. And uh, his tour dates are coming up. He's playing in Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, my hometown of Evanston on September 24th at Space. Ferndale, Michigan, Cleveland, Columbus, Indianapolis, lots of cool stuff coming up, so please support him on that run. As you might have heard at the top of the show, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be hosting our first curated music festival with the wonderful Tiny Porch Concerts and the Santa Monica Mountains Fund. It's called the Paramount Ranch Sonic Boom. It's in the hills above Malibu, October 15th. We're bringing the Grammy winners... Rebirth Brass Band all the way up from New Orleans and Dom Flemons, who you might have heard on this show. It's going to be amazing. We've got Water Tower, Yosmel Montejo y La Caliente, Eagle Rock Gospel Singers, Abby Posner, and more. Check it out on our website, dustbowlrevival.com. And while I was away, Dust Bowl put out a wonderful song called B for July. Yes, I wrote it about my newborn little one. And uh, there's a music video where me and my wife actually shoot at Yosemite National Park with July, my daughter. And uh, she's pretty adorable. You should check it out. But actually, it's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. This week, we're headed to the Zion Canyon Music Festival in Utah. Then we're going to be playing in Atlanta, September 29th, the Greer Arts and Eats Festival in South Carolina. And we're playing in North Carolina also at Reeves Theater, October 1st. As always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lubitson, and we are a part of the BGS Podcast Network. Thank you for subscribing and sharing this show with your friends. We have some really cool shows coming up, including my talk with Jim Lauderdale and Leo from The Meters. Yes, the masterful, legendary New Orleans band. It's going to be an amazing talk. Check it out soon. Be safe out there. Stay kind to your friends. Make good music, and we'll see you on the trail. I wish that you were still around One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know 
Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.